to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. It's been a long time, I shouldn't have left you without a strong podcast to step to. Think of how many weak podcasts you slept through. <laughs> Time's up. I'm sorry. Very, very sorry. I kept you. Wendell's World and Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm back. Back on the microphone. Back talking sports. Back to doing what I absolutely love to do. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. Mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. What is going on? What is happening? Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports, so glad that you could be with us. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Wendell's World and Sports, talking about what's happening in the world of sports. So glad that you could be with us. One of the reasons why I took a little time off, because I had to. In between podcasts, normally I like to pump them out once or twice a week. Um, this particular time period, though, I decided that I was going to go ahead and take a summer school position at the local elementary school. Haven't done elementary in a in a while, and after a week and a half, I have come to the conclusion that whenever I see a high schooler, I am going to give him or her a big old big old hug. And say, I am sorry, I will never be critical, I will never be negative about going to a high school to substitute again. Good Lord, have mercy. I am not built for little flipping kids. I'm built for getting paid, which is the only reason why I'm doing this. But, you know, come in the first day and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to put you in kindergarten. Then the next day they're going to send me back to kindergarten. And then I'm going to do first grade. And then I'm going to go to fifth grade. And then I'm going to do first grade. And then kindergarten. And then second grade again. And after each and every single day, these kids mentally just wore me out. I got home, fell asleep. And the last thing I wanted to do was go ahead and put together a podcast to do. So, man, it's been just one big old mental phew. June cannot end soon enough. It seems like, man, it has just been slow as shit in terms of the pace and the and the rhythm of this month because I'm trying to lose some weight. So because of that, I can't eat, well, I can't, I can't eat burgers, but because of my diet, I decided, my lifestyle change for the month of June, I decided 
Because I'm not eating burgers, I'm not eating fries, I'm not drinking milkshakes, I'm cutting down on the soda, I'm not having chips, I'm not doing all of those bad habit type of things, I'm not hitting the fast food places, I'm not having three corner salad burritos with guacamole, I'm not having my three roll tacos, I'm not having my fish tacos, I'm not going to Del Taco, I'm not going to uh, have some Big Macs, I'm not going to uh, have my number two at Sonic Large, not doing any of that stuff. I am dedicating my summer to get my fat, pathetic old, sloppy ass in shape, or at least in better shape than I have it in right now. So you take away my comforts in terms of after a long, hard day of dealing with five, six, seven, eight, and 12-year-olds, and then I come home and you're trying to tell me that I can't stop off at Jack in the Box and get me a number four. I can't stop off at Sonic and get me a number two. I can't order myself a large pizza. I can't go ahead and get myself a, a, a nacho grande. I can't go ahead and get, and get some nachos from Roberto's. I can't go ahead and get myself a number two or number four uh, extra large or large from Sonic. I can't do any of that stuff. I actually have to go home and make a smoothie. I have to go home and make a green drink. I have to go home and eat carrots with um, peanut butter. I have to go ahead and eat a broccoli and veggie salad with tuna and beans. <laughs> so you can see my mindset was not about doing any type of work in terms of podcasting at all. I watched, I watched the games. Fantastic, man. But <clears throat> there were plenty of nights where I was just done. And each day I was like, well, I got to start getting my stuff together. I got to start doing my homework. I got to start doing my preparation for my podcast but man you go ahead and you try dealing with five-year-olds you go ahead and try dealing with seven-year-olds all day bunch of annoying flipping son of a guns needy she did this she said that hey you're out of line don't cut this and the other ah, shut up shut up that's what i've been dealing with of course i didn't say that but in my mind i was just 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 would you shut up <laughs> would you get away from me <laughs> look mr wallace look what i did look what i wrote look what i said look what i did oh for flip's sake leave me the fuck alone like i said i was built for high schoolers wendell's world of sports i'm your host wendell wallace so glad that you could be with us so that has been my uh that has been my deal for the week and the reason why I haven't been able to go ahead and pump out any podcast. On top of that, I've also been on a diet to where, like I mentioned before, diet and exercising. So it's kind of left me drained. My body's going through some stuff in terms of trying to get used to um, eating real food instead of the junk and the garbage that I was putting in my system for months and months and months. So everything is about transition. But my job ends. Um, my job ends in a couple of days. And uh, so it's going to be back to the normality of uh, getting my mind right and uh, doing what I need to do to uh, give you guys and give you the best podcast that I could uh, give. want to also throw a special dedication to my bro, my main man out here in Vegas, Armando Vasquez, for uh, the fight on Saturday night at uh, the Virgin Hotel here in Vegas. Vasily Lomachenko showing that, you know what, yeah, I lost to Timofeo Lopez because I started, like, fighting it after giving up the first five or six rounds. But uh, for those who are counting me out, for those who are saying that, you know, I might be done, might be washed up, man, this ain't MMA, where this ain't the UFC, where, you know, a potential loss 
no matter how high you're riding, it can lead to two or three or four straight losses. Go ahead and ask BJ Penn. Go ahead and ask uh, Tony Ferguson. Go ahead and ask Junior Dos Santos. There's been plenty of examples of guys who we thought that would be top-notch MMA fighters, UFC fighters for a long time, contenders, champions. Once they lost that uh, first fight, or once they lost and got off that winning streak, man, it went downhill after that. So I think some of that applied to uh, Vasily in terms of when he lost to uh, Lopez that, you know, all of a sudden now, um, Vasily Lomachenko, who was, what, top three, top four pound for pound at one point, at one point, not too far, not too long ago, he was the number one or number two ranked pound for pound fighter in the world, ahead of Bud Crawford, ahead of Canelo Alvarez, ahead of all those guys, ahead of Errol Spence. So all of a sudden now, one loss to Lopez, and all of a sudden now you're going to write him off? Well, Saturday night, man, he showed that uh, he is back, rip, roaring, and ready to go. The atmosphere was fantastic. Hadn't been to a boxing match in a while. Really my first time doing anything since the pandemic hit. So the female talent in that place was off the hook. The uh, boxing was fantastic. The energy was unbelievable. So I want to give a special shout-out, special Special dedication to my man Armando Vasquez for giving me that opportunity to uh, watch the best, watch one of the best, watch a champion in action with Vasily Lomachenko. So that was my Saturday, which in in turn really did give me an opportunity to really go ahead and dig down and do the show prep that I wanted to do. But shoot, I'll take uh, that. I'll take that switch. I'll take that compromise. Eight days a week, 25 hours a day, 367 days a year. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host. Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Things to discuss today in the podcast. Let's get right to it. A recap of the Eastern and Western Conference Championships and the Western Conference, which is going to be happening in a couple of hours. The Los Angeles Clippers are going to see what they can do to remain in the conference finals as they're down 3-1. to one. Phoenix leads that series. Uh, they won game four in a throwback rock fight type of a game, 84-80 on Saturday. How ugly was this game offensively, you ask? Wendell, how ugly was this game offensively, I ask? Well, let me tell you. Both teams <laughs> shot a combined 9 of 51 from the three-point range. That's 17.5%. Both teams from the field shot around 34.3% from the field. And according to ESPN stats and information, the Clippers, the squad that shot a collective two for 21 from the field to begin the fourth quarter, were still in the game. We're still in the game. The Clippers attempted 10 go-ahead field goals in the fourth quarter and missed all 10. Playoff P, Mr. June, Reggie Jackson, if I could steal Tim uh, Ben McMahon's uh, little uh, acronym for him. What, 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 what is going on with the Clippers? What happened with the Clippers? Outscored by Phoenix, a whopping... 15 to 14 in the fourth quarter. And the Clips finished 0 for 12 in the fourth quarter on shots that could have tied or taken the lead in the game. Woo! Yeah, that wasn't good. Want more evidence on how ugly this game was? I said, do you want more evidence on how ugly this game is? Let me hear you say, yeah. Sure. The key, the best player for each team were bad offensively. Paul George, Reggie Jackson, a combined 13 for, thir- uh, 13 for 44 from the field, 3 of 18 from the three-point line. Devin Booker and Chris Paul for the Suns. They want to combine 14 of 44 from the field. 
Oh, we eight from the three-point line. Yikes. Yikes, 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 yikes. DeAndre Ayton, really. You take a look at it with the MVP of the game. 19 points, 22 rebounds, four block shots. Actually shot a decent percentage for any game. 8 of 14 from the field, while the other Phoenix starters went 18 for 58. I was thinking about this, man, because, you know, when we're thinking about it, it's been a couple of years now, and I think we can start formulating some pretty decent opinions on a draft class after players have been in the league a certain number of years. So I look back on the 2018 draft class, and I'm thinking about guys like DeAndre Ayton, who was taken number one by the Suns. Thinking about Trey Young, who's doing marvelous work for the Atlanta Hawks. I'm speaking about thinking about Luka Dantich, who has the potential to be a generational all-time great player, now playing for the Dallas Mavericks. And I'm taking a look at other guys like you know, Jaron Jackson Jr., who had the potential to develop into a top-notch all-league type of performer at the uh, power forward center position. I'm talking about Shea Gilgis Alexander, who could be the leader on the team, who could do some things in the playoffs. Taking a look at role players with great responsibilities that can morph into being third and fourth options, third and fourth strong options on teams that can win a championship like Michael Porter Jr. or Mikhail Bridges or even a Miles Bridges out in Charlotte or a Kevin Herter. And I'm thinking about that 2018 draft class, the names that I just mentioned. And I start comparing them to other great draft classes like 1996 when you had for Georgetown University the number one pick my man Allen Iverson along with the late great Kobe Bryant Hall of Famer Steve Nash one of my favorite shooters of all time Peja Stojakovic they're speaking about the 2003 NBA draft class which of course might be as far as top heavy is concerned could rank right up there with the 1984 class when you had LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh and Carmelo Anthony and later on down in the first round you have uh, someone like a David West who turned out to be an important, valuable all-star for multiple teams that wound up winning a championship with the Golden State Warriors. Of course, the 1984 NBA draft class, MJ, Charles Barkley, Alkeem Olajuwon, the 1987 draft class, which had David Robinson, Scotty, I've lost my mind, Pippen, Reggie Miller, Kevin Johnson, former mayor of Sacramento, but great point guard for the Phoenix Suns, Mark Jackson, Sharunas Marshallonis. All of these great draft classes that have been going down in the modern era. Hey, man, you know, in four or five more years, we might be sitting up there talking about, yeah, move over 1984, move over 1987, move over 2003. The 2018 draft class is right there. And now where the question or the answer to the question was Luka Dantich, there's a chance now, and I'm going to bring this up a little bit later on in the podcast, that wait a minute, before we start, you know, making fun of Phoenix and making fun of Atlanta, especially Atlanta, for having the nerve to first draft Luka Dantich, then you're going to trade him for Trey Young. Hold on for a second now, because Trey Young is doing some work, and yet you could talk about what conference they play for, and you could talk about some of their turmoil, and you could talk about all these other things, getting hot at the right time and such. But so far, in terms of some real substance in their NBA career, in terms of winning is concerned, with Trey Young being the heart and soul of the Atlanta Hawks and getting them to the Eastern Conference Finals, you could say that as far as winning is concerned, as far as right now, early on in their careers, he has the lead over Luka Dantich. Now, there's about another 10, 12, 14 years to go to find out who really is the True winner, but at least in the early stages, 
hey, Luka, with the Mavericks, they haven't gotten as far as Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. Again, you could talk about the team they play. You can talk about the strength of the conference. But you know what? Hey, you know what? A championship is a championship. An NBA Finals appearance is an NBA Finals appearance. There is no asterisk. I don't care if you're playing in a 73-game season. I don't care if the season was suspended and then you come back and play in the bubble. I don't care if you're playing in front of fan, 10% capacity, 50% capacity, 100% capacity. I don't care if you're playing with fans that are wearing masks six feet apart. I don't care what the circumstances are. A conference final is a conference final. And if Young can somehow miraculously get the Atlanta Falcons to the NBA championship, whether they play Phoenix or the Clippers, well, hot diddly damn in terms of scoffing. And I'm one of those who scoff even even now about, you know, great Trey Young, this, that, and the other. But uh -uh, when the day is done and the night is young and the land is dark and the moon is the only light we'll see, I won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid because I will still go ahead and draft Luka Dantich. So, darling, darling, stand by Luka. Oh, yes, stand by Luka. Luka, I'll keep standing by you. So, but still, Trey Young is making the uh, case for it, for the argument to be a little bit harder. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, let's go ahead and start speaking about the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are rising in the Western Conference. Making it to the NBA Finals, the Phoenix Suns, the Robert Sarver-led Phoenix Suns, for years upon years upon years, most recently, one of the most inept, embarrassing, dysfunctional franchises in the NBA, the, the, the Phoenix Suns. They're going to be playing in the NBA Championship, a team that a few years ago lost 61 games. Oh, oh and by the way, by the way, they didn't draft themselves a generational great. They didn't go ahead and win the lottery a couple of years. They didn't do what the Philadelphia 76ers tried to do in terms of getting to what they thought were going to be quarterstone, quarterstone, were going to be, you know, foundational pieces like they thought when they drafted Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid speaking about Philadelphia. No, 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 no. Phoenix Suns didn't do any of that, man. Took them a couple of years. It took them months. But uh, if you want to, well, if you want to compare "quote unquote" processes between Phoenix and Philadelphia in terms of losing and then building up, who's winning that race right now? Again, Phoenix in a couple of hours are going to have the opportunity to close out the Los Angeles Clippers and go to the NBA Finals. Did I mention that the Suns were owned by Robert Sarver, a man who? The story was by Zach Lowe a couple of years ago, which I read in ESPN.com, in terms of Robert Sarver got goats, actual goats, 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 bad goats, and put those goats into the offices of the GM and left, with the meaning being, I want this team to be great. I want us to be, you know, goats, greatest of all time, this, that, and the other. So he actually got goats, real goats, put them in the office. So when Ryan McDonough, the GM at the time, came in the door, uh, not only was he shocked to see a bunch of goats, but his office stank of high heaven because it was filled with goat shit. So, yeah, that Robert Sarver. The Robert Sarver for years, Phenotians. Is that what you call people from Phoenix? Phenotians? I live there, don't want to claim it, but 
They were saying, man, this guy's got to sell the team. We'll never do anything with this guy at the owner. He's terrible. He's inept. He's incompetent. He's cheap. He's, he's uh, you know, not getting it done. And uh, look what's happening now with the Phoenix Suns. One victory away from going to the doggone NBA Finals and five victories, victories away of Phoenix getting themselves their first NBA championship. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let's, what, we, what are we talking about here with this Phoenix squad? What is the reason for the turnaround? What is the reason for the excellence? What is the reason for the success? Well, Chris Paul, man. The face turn of Chris Paul. If I could use some wrestling terms just for a second. For a long time, as I mentioned this before in other podcasts, Chris Paul, for the better part of his career with most, most fans, was a heel, was a bad guy. I mean, you know, if you especially when he got to the Clippers. The Clippers at one time were, I would dare to say, arguably the most hated team in the NBA. When you had Doc Rivers at the coach whining and complaining after the after every call with the referees. When you had Chris Paul and Blake Griffin beefing and squabbling and arguing and trying to decide whose team it was, whose team it was. You had DeAndre Jordan. Whose side is he going to be on? Is he going to be on CP3 side? Is he going to be on Blake Griffin's side? I mean, you had all this drama. You had all of this nonsense swirling around Blake Griffin in the early part of his NBA career. A lot of teams, a lot of players kind kind of didn't like him because, you know, of his dunking exploits and all these type of things. So I remember for a decent amount of seasons where it's like the Portland Trailblazers didn't like the uh, Clippers, Terry Stotts and Black America's coach still, Doc Rivers didn't like each other, and that festered into some type of rivalry between those two teams. I remember the Memphis Grizzlies and the uh, Clippers didn't like each other. The grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies with um, Tony Allen and Marcus Saul and Zach Randolph and Mike Connolly. And it was, it was, um, it was Gasol's and Randolph's mission when they played to basically just beat on and be physical with uh, Blake Griffin because they didn't like some of the pretty boy stuff he did in terms of his aerial antics when he uh, got into the uh, air. So that was a that was a big flipping deal. I remember the Clippers in Houston didn't like each other. It was like this it was like the Clippers played each other. Chris Paul was always this was always the agitator, was always the annoyance, was always the instigator. It was almost like with the bad boy Pistons. You know how Isaiah Thomas would, would be that guy to be that little annoyance to kind of push your buttons, to kind of get on your nerves, that type of thing. And he would let Bill Lambeer do the fighting, and he would let Dennis Rotman do the defending, and he would let Rick Mahorn be the physical guy. But, you know, the instigator or the one that would push people buttons on that team was always Isaiah Thomas. And, you know, the smallest guy on the court up there, you know, stirring up the most shit. Well, it was sort of the same thing with the Clippers. It was like, you know, who was the shit stirrer and getting shit started? It was always Chris Paul. So he went through a little time there where, you know, he was, quote unquote, a heel. No one liked this guy. But now, what he's doing right now, coming over from the Suns, resurrecting his career where many people thought it was done after his opportunities to win championships or win the Western Conference Championship in Houston. Now he... He went from Oklahoma City to uh, turning that team around, getting that team into prominence in terms of making a playoff when many people thought that they would just be going for the lottery. I remember when he got traded for Russell Westbrook to go to Oklahoma City, there was even discussion about, hey man, is this guy even going to uh, finish out his uh, deal? 
are the Clippers, excuse me, are the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder going to keep him around? I know my man on the sports animal, Eric G, the, who you can listen to from, uh, you can listen to him from 9 to 11 or 9 to 12 Pacific Standard Time, at least that's what I do, on the sports animal with Coach Pat Jones. I remember when uh, Eric G was doing the thing and talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder who he followed. I mean, my man, Mr. G, was talking about, hey, are we even going to keep Chris Paul? If we're rebuilding, why are we even going to think about keeping Chris Paul? Can we even trade Chris Paul at the trade value that he has right now? Can we go ahead with that contract that he has and re-trade him again and all those type of things? My man, Eric G., doing the show on the Sports Animal out there in Tulsa, that's what he was talking about a little bit with Coach Jones. So, CP3 turned his career around in that sense, got traded then to Phoenix, and uh, look what he's doing right now for the... Uh, Look what he's doing right now for the for the Suns. I mean, you can almost say he's the basketball 2020-21 version of what Kurt Gibson did when he came over from the Detroit Tigers to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And, you know, the stats weren't awe-inspiring. I thought Daryl Strawberry in 88 should have won the MVP instead of Gibson. But it was his leadership. It was his experience. It was his clutch hitting. It was all those other intangibles which gave the... Dodgers the opportunity to go ahead and beat the Mets and Doc Good and Strawberry and those guys in six games, defeating the defending World Series champion and then upsetting the mighty Oakland A's with the Bass Brothers and Dave Stewart and Tony La Russa at the manager and those guys. So I think if you want to use any comparison from another sport, the first person I think about, again, for the season that Chris Paul is having and what he's doing with the Phoenix Suns at the age that he's doing it at and he's not averaging 28 points and 14 assists he's not having eye-popping numbers he is one of the most valuable players again if you want to define the term most valuable players and you want to look beyond the stats and you want to look beyond the best player on the best team and all these other things I think in terms of leadership I think in terms of intangibles I think in terms of all these things I think in terms of what Chris Paul is doing and that facilitated the face turn that now Chris Paul has coming back from a shoulder injury to defeat the Lakers in six games, then uh, defeating, having a marvelous, unbelievable, historic series against the shorthanded, but still the playoff advancing Denver Nuggets, winning that in four games, and then again, getting the Suns in a position to win the Western Conference Championship if they can win games uh, five tonight. And they're on their home court out there in Phoenix. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let's say, for instance, speaking about Chris Paul, let's say, for instance, he wins this game. Get the Suns to the NBA Finals. And then let's just go even crazy. Let's get crazy. Let's get nice. Let's go back and boogie like we're in 1999. Let's say, for instance, that um, Chris Paul and the Phoenix Suns win a championship. What are we talking about as far as Elevation Holmes is concerned with Chris Paul? I think that would elevate him to that rare class. Make the argument right now the greatest quote-unquote pure point guard in NBA history. When I say pure point guard, I'm speaking old school. I'm speaking John Stockton. I'm speaking Mo Cheeks. I'm speaking that type of flavor in terms of the greatest pure point guards of all time. Not hybrids. Not guards, 
not guards like Tiny or Allen Iverson or what Russell Westbrook guys who can also put the ball in the hoop and also give you some assists. No, I'm speaking about the old school, all around classic type of point guard under 6'4", 6'5". In terms of that, Chris Paul is already up there. The only thing missing from his resume has always been an appearance in the NBA Finals and eventually winning an NBA championship. If he can go ahead and he can do this, one of the best, if not the best, pure point guards in NBA history and one of the best small men to ever play in the league. I'm putting him right up there with Tiny Archibald, Calvin Murphy, Allen Iverson, John Stockton. Putting him right up there. Isaiah Thomas, right up there. The kings of the throne, the main folks at the VIP section, the folks at the head of the table when they go into the greatest small men in NBA history club, the first ones into the VIP is getting the most trim is, in my opinion, John Stockton and Isaiah Thomas. If Chris Paul can elevate the Suns and win a championship, he's right up there with them. Right up there with him. And he better not bring Jake from State Farm or his twin brother Cliff up there either because he ain't going to be welcome. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So talking about the rise of the Phoenix Suns, hey, I used to live there for a couple of years, unfortunately. I was there from, uh, well, what I was there for? I was there from December of 99 to October 13th, 2003. You're damn right I'm talking about that was my release date. But, um, so I know the passion, I know the fever, I did Phoenix Radio, I did Phoenix Sports Talk Radio over at the Deuce and talked about those things. I was at the uh, draft and uh, hosted the draft where the, um, where the uh, Suns drafted Amari Stoudemire, I was, I was there. So I was intently into what was happening with the Phoenix Suns. So I can tell you, it is a very strong basketball community out there. And when the Diamondbacks have won a World Series beating the Yankees in a historic seven-game series. That's nice, wonderful. Randy Johnson, way to go. Kurt Schilling, way to go. Way to go. But it ain't a baseball town regardless of what the Diamondbacks do. No matter how many World Series the Diamondbacks win. No matter how many times they beat uh, Mario Rivera, uh, Rivera type in the seventh game of a World Series to come back and win. There's still a basketball town. It doesn't matter what. Even the Phoenix... Even the Arizona Cardinals, right on par, the Phoenix Suns. And how many cities, how many communities that have an NBA team and an NFL team that you can make that distinction of? The Phoenix Suns are just as important as the Arizona Cardinals. A NBA championship for the Phoenix Suns would be just as euphoric, just as fantastic as the Arizona Cardinals winning a Super Bowl, in my opinion, from what, what from as uh, what I got from living there. So it's been just remarkable, man. The rise of what's happening with the Phoenix Suns. They went from again being one of the most embarrassing, inept, incompetent franchises in recent NBA history to being in the NBA Finals, one game from the NBA Finals. Are you kidding me? One of the quickest turnarounds in NBA history, man. That's right up there with the 2007-2008 Boston Celtics, who went from winning 24 games the year before to winning 66 games in the NBA championship. Yeah, they acquired Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett to do that, to play along with Paul Pierce and got themselves a Ray John Rondo, but still remarkable. The two, the 1997-98 San Antonio Spurs went from David Robinson the year before playing only six games, Sean Elliott missing most of the season with foot and ankle injuries and knee injuries. The Spurs only won 20 games. 
Hello. Won the lottery. Got themselves somebody named Tim Duncan. Spurs won 56 games the next season and won the NBA Finals in a strike-shortened season the next. The 1979-1980 Boston Celtics. The year before that, they won, or the, um, the year before the uh, 80s, the 79-80 uh, season, they won 29 games. But the year before, they drafted some guy out of uh, Indiana State. His name was, um, oh, what was his name? Oh, it started with an L. Uh, oh, yeah, Larry Bird. So they drafted him a year before because he was draft eligible. He came back to Indiana State. Uh, led the Sycamore to a undefeated season where they lost to some guy named, um, oh, ooh, ah, from Michigan State, East Lansing, my favorite, ah, one of my idols growing up. Ah, oh, yeah, that's right, Irvin Magic Johnson. So after that season, Bird joined the 79-80 Boston Celtics. In that draft, that recent draft, the uh, Celtics Red Hour back, Drafted Kevin McHale and then traded with the Golden State Warriors to bring in a Robert Parrish. Pretty good. They went from 29 games the year before to winning 61 before they lost to the Julius Irving, Mo Cheeks, Bobby Jones, Andrew Tony led Philadelphia 76ers. The next year came back from a 3 1 deficit, winning game seven in the Eastern Conference final over Doc and the Boys and then winning over the Moses Malone, 42-40, and 40, led Houston Rockets to win their first championship. So, yeah, man, put Phoenix right up there in that category in terms of regardless of what happens in the Western Conference Finals, the fact that they were a team of such non-distinction only a few years and only a few seasons ago, very recently, and now the elevation to where they are now, unreal, unbelievable. And they didn't, again, they didn't have the ability to stink out loud and then draft themselves a Larry Bird type. They didn't have the ability to uh, swindle the Golden State Warriors being asleep at the wheel and get themselves a Hall of Fame center just starting his prime and then drafting one of the best power forwards who's ever played the game to go along with one of the best players, period, who ever played the game in Larry Bird. The Phoenix Suns didn't do that. The Phoenix Suns of this era, of this team right here, they didn't have the ability to go ahead and get themselves... Uh, a Ray Allen type and a Kevin Garnett type not happening so it's it's absolutely amazing what they did it's absolutely amazing what the Phoenix Suns are doing winning 34 games last season 73 games played now going ahead and improving by 18 games and winning 52 games when you only added uh, Chris Paul after he was uh, traded for, they gave up Kelly Oubre Jr. in a future first-round draft pick for uh, Paul, and then signing Jay Crowder in free agency, Devin Booker's ascension to uh, being one of the best young players in the league, DeAndre Ayton, the light finally coming on, and him wanting to be a very good center, not dominant, but still a very good complimentary piece to uh, what the Phoenix Suns are doing. Mikael Bridges going to be developing still into that 3-and-D type of guy. Monty Williams, the coach who... Faltered a little bit when he was with the New Orleans Pelicans, but got a second chance. Was really in the running for the Laker job a couple of years ago. And uh, decided that he was going to go to the Phoenix Suns, and everybody was thinking to him themselves, you're going to that organization? Are you wanting to get out of coaching after three years of misery down there? So, <coughs> excuse me. So, you know, the, the pieces fell into place, and they fell into place very well. And as I mentioned before, Devin Booker, 
2015 draft pick. Draft number 13. Players drafted before him. How about these guys? Jaleel Okafer, number three pick, Philadelphia. Oops. Mario Hazonia, remember? The the guy who's never turned down a shot he couldn't take from uh, Spain. He was taken number five with Orlando. Oops. Stanley Johnson, the freshman from Arizona. He was taken number eight by Detroit. Oops. Emmanuel Moutier from Dallas, Texas, who was supposed to play for Larry Brown at SMU, but instead went over and played in China and was drafted number seven by the Denver Nuggets. Oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So DeAndre Ayton drafted number one in the 2018 draft. Mikhail Bridges was drafted in that same draft class as Ayton. In fact, he was drafted by the uh, Philadelphia 76ers. And I remember um, when he was drafted, they interviewed him and his mother, and they were talking about how wonderful and it was a dream come true because he was a Philly guy, and he always wanted to play for Philadelphia, and he always wanted to play for the 76ers fan, and this, that, and the other. And they were like, wait a second, hold on. About a half an hour later, it was like, hold on. The Phoenix Suns, who drafted Zaire Smith out of Texas Tech, they're going to make a trade. So Zaire Smith, who's no longer in the league, by the way, was traded from Phoenix to Philadelphia. Philadelphia then gave up the talents of Mikael Bridges, who is fitting in extremely nice, 24 years old, as a 3 and D guy. Cam Johnson, who many people scratched their head because he was drafted so high, like, you're going to draft him in the lottery? Really? He's done very well coming off the bench, being the guy who could stretch the floor with the three-point shot. Team is uh, team is pretty good, man. Team is pretty good. And as I mentioned before, you go back from 2010 to... Uh, 2020, which is 10 seasons, you go back and take a look at this, the Suns finished 10th or lower in the Western Conference nine times. They lost 50 or more games five times. They lost 60 games in the 2017-18 season when they were acquiring and they were building this franchise to where they're in a position to win the uh, Western Conference. They had seven coaching changes in those 10 years. I mean, guys like Earl Watson, who the man got married to Joy Taylor and they got divorced. Unless that woman was a complete nut job, I have no fucking idea why Earl Watson would get divorced from Joy Taylor. I don't care if you get tired of eating steak. No lobster, no shrimp, no salads, nothing can replace the taste of eating steak every night. So that nonsense about if Earl Watson was cheating on Joy Taylor and the excuse was, hey man, you can't eat flamin, uh, uh steak every night. Uh, if the steak is going to taste as juicy as her, yes you can. Yes you can. So, you know, you had all of these coaching changes for the Phoenix Suns, the rotating um, employment of the uh, GMs, only made it to 500 one time. I remember this nonsense. Remember when Devin Booker scored 70 points? One of the most embarrassing moments in recent time for our franchise in the NBA. Remember the night, and if you don't, let me refresh you. The night that Devin Booker scored 70 points, 70 points against the Boston Celtics. Unbelievable, right? Incredible. I mean, we're speaking about points that haven't been scored like that since David Robinson decided he was going to try to win the uh, scoring title from... uh, Ooh, I forgot what it was. And then he put up 71 points against the Clippers on the uh, final day of the season. 
but you know there there were a lot of 50s but never a 70 right so it was like Devin Booker put up 70 points and afterwards in the locker room I mean they were pouring champagne on the guy they were dancing they were joking they were laughing they were dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie they were dancing in the streets like Martha and the Vandellas I mean they were just going just nutty right took a picture with the uh, with the 70 points uh, written on it, like when Wilt did when he hit 100, and, and uh, they gave him the paper to take a picture, that iconic picture of Wilt holding up 100 points, and they did the same thing with Devin, Devin Booker with 70 points, and they had his teammates around him. Well, uh, um, the footnote in all of that was the Phoenix Suns had gotten their asses whooped that night by Boston. I mean, when I say got their asses whooped, I mean, for the most part, they were down by anywhere between 20 and 30 points the entire night. And near the end of the game, the Suns were actually fouling the Celtics late in the game when the game was far from out of reach, when in any other situation, the starters for Phoenix were on the bench, would be on the bench, and they would get the reserves in there. But no, because Devin Booker was putting up points, they decided that, you know what, we're just going to go ahead and see how many points that we can get them. So the Suns were actually intentionally fouling the Boston Celtics so they could get the ball back, give the Booker, and he could go around and uh, shoot and try to score points. Embarrassing. Ridiculous. A joke. A clown show. And it's like, how are you ever going to build winning habits with that type of bullshit? I mean, Isaiah Thomas and those guys were like laughing and smirking like, we're whooping your ass and your main thing is about trying to get this guy as many points as possible. Yeah, that's, that's going to be building good habits. Yeah, that's going to be building championship DNA. I remember speaking about that and saying, yeah, I'm quite sure that if this was the San Antonio Spurs with Greg Popovich, that he'd be like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Sounds good to me. So that was the atmosphere that the Phoenix Suns were built from to where they are now. And it's, uh, it's awesome. Give kudos where kudos needs kudos. Monty Williams, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker, Dario Sarage, Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne, who was an afterthought in the league when he was rescued by the Suns, and now he has an important role. Don't know how much of that sprained ankle is going to affect the effectiveness of his game. But still, I mean, this is a team where they're young. I know that... Um, Chris Paul is the linchpin, is the glue, the heart and soul to everything. And at 38 years or 36 years old, he's talking about he wants to opt out of his contract so we can get a little bit more money. But um, at least for the next couple of years, man, where the, while there's no Golden State Warriors, while there's no San Antonio Spurs, while there's no really Los Angeles Lakers dynasty type of team, why not the Phoenix Suns can't be in this position to challenge for a championship for years and years to come. Remarkable, absolutely remarkable season for Chris Paul and those guys, the Phoenix Suns. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Real quickly, the Los Angeles Clippers, I'm not counting them out. I'm not counting this team out. Reggie Jackson has, is he fool's gold of what he's doing? I mean, Kawhi Leonard isn't coming back. Paul George, with the exception of, I mean, y'all can talk about game two and laugh and clown them on that one with the two missed free throws, but uh, the Clippers wouldn't be anywhere close to having a chance to win that game if it wasn't for Paul George. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
that's the, the, the missed two free throws is not the reason why the um, Los Angeles Clippers lost game two on the Valley Oop from Jay Crowder to DeAndre Ayton. But uh, Paul George has his worst night in the playoffs since game one of the second round against the Utah Jazz. Was what, 5 for 21 or some nonsense like that? Um, Reggie Jackson, 8 for 24. But, you know, you got this guy on the bench for the Clippers. His name is Ty Lue. And that man can damn sure coach. And you have to think about it. Yeah, they're down 3-1. But let, let's take a look at the games that have been played. They were right in the ball game. You can make the strong argument that they should have won game two. Um, they won game three. And they were right there in a bad shooting night. Cost them the opportunity to win game four. So this is not a situation where you take a look and you say, oh yeah, you know, without question, the Phoenix Suns are the better team. The Los Angeles Clippers have been in every game that the uh, teams have played so far in the series. And the one game which they won, one, the, the one game in the series in which the team won by a pretty decent margin wasn't the team that's in the lead right now, 3-1, to one, the Phoenix Suns. It was game three with the Los Angeles Clippers winning on their home floor. So we don't know what the extent of uncomfortableness that Devin Booker is experiencing with his nose. Uh, we don't know if the shot is ever going to be regained in the next couple of days by uh, Chris Paul. And you got to remember, for all of the ooing and aahing, as I just mentioned about the building of the Phoenix Suns in terms of their player personnel is concerned, I mean, we're still speaking about a game four where it was fugly, ugly, snuggly, wuggly in terms of this, its shooting and everything. Defense, right there. But I'm sorry, in today's NBA, if you're going to be shooting that poorly, not just from the field overall, but from the three-point line, and you're scoring 80 to 84 points, and you're putting up 36 points or 33 points in two quarters, as far as the first half was concerned with the Los Angeles Clippers, the offense, the players, and the rules are just too skewed to the offense to sit there and say, yeah, the main reason why that score was what it was and the field goal percentages were what they were was because of defense. Defense, a little bit. Was it the main story? Was it the main reason? Was it the main factor? No. It was all about some bad bad offense so playoff p it's a new deal it's a new deal for him now as far as the alpha male is concerned first time since he was um leading the charge with the indiana pacers Kawhi is out so his robin is going to have to be reggie jackson who runs hot and cold so we'll see we'll see but as i mentioned before we'll <clears throat> i don't doubt what tyron lou has tyron lou has up his sleeve in terms of, you know, he can get something from uh, one of the Morris boys. He can get something from Zubach, who had a really good game three. I'll play Dayton, by the way, in game three. Luke Kennard can come in. He had a big fourth quarter. I believe it was in game one or two, one of those games where Kennard came in in the fourth quarter and really played well. So the Clippers still, without Kawhi Leonard, but still have some avenues to go down to where they can still make this a very competitive series. But... If the Suns make it to the NBA Finals, all hail the rise of the Phoenix Suns, Chris Paul, Monty Williams. Guys earned it, man. Remarkable, remarkable run.
Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Moving, grooving, <coughs> surviving, striving, trying to make a little bit of money, trying to see the next day, trying to see the next hour, the next minute, the next next second. It has been one slow, slow, slow month of June. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The Eastern Conference Finals, the Milwaukee Bucks leading the Atlanta Hawks two games to one. They regain, speaking of the Bucks, they regain the home court advantage after winning game three, 113-102. Chris Middleton scored 20 of his playoff career high, tying 38 points in the fourth quarter. Giannis and Nenekupo had 33 points, 11 rebounds for the Bucks. Threw up an air ball, but uh, was pretty decent from the line. And uh, the Bucks did what they need to do. Atlanta led the game, really, 95-88 before Middleton went nuts, made his first of three three-pointers in a 13-3 run for a 103-98 lead. I mentioned before, Middleton scored 10 points in that in that run. And it was just, uh, it was great. Giannis had a nice little Dirk Nowitzki step-back jumper. Um, Drew Holiday, while going 2 for 11, but um, was a good catalyst in terms of getting everybody involved in playing some really good defense. Um, Bobby, Bobby Portis, in limited minutes, continued to uh, play well, at least offensively, scoring in double figures again. So, taking a look at this team, I'm going to echo the sentiments of Charles Barkley where in the NBA uh, postgame where he was like, look, the um, the Bucks are just a better team. I mean, I don't know how other ways to put it that, um, you know, the Bucks are, are just better. I think the Bucks have more playoff experience. I think that uh, the... War, I shouldn't say war, I hate using the word war when it comes to sporting events, but I think the contest, I think the series they had against the um, Brooklyn Nets really has uh, given them a, a lot of confidence in terms of moving forward. I think the Bucks are playing like they feel that they are the better team, and I think that confidence lends themselves to um, really not fretting, really not panicking after that loss in game one, not to question themselves, not to doubt themselves. So I think that the playoff experience, I think going through Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets, I think uh, doing what they need to do, especially winning game seven on the uh, road like they did. And I think it lends to the, I think it lends to the confidence that Milwaukee Bucks had that even when Atlanta led at that time, maybe in years past, past the Bucks might've gone to something else that might have been foreign to them or uncomfortable, the fact that they still stuck with their game plan. Really, the fact that Giannis allowed Middleton to be the closer in this game. Many times back in the past, if you remember, that it was Giannis trying to go one-on-four and everybody else standing around. This time, in that fourth quarter where they made that run, got the lead, maintained the lead, kept the lead, and then ultimately won the game. But the fact that um, it wasn't anything forced. We didn't have Giannis going one-on-four. They were running good offense. Giannis was deferring to Middleton, the, the, the hot player at that time. And I think for Milwaukee to ultimately win this championship, whether they wind up winning the series, winning the conference championships against Atlanta and moving on to the NBA Finals, and either playing the Clippers or playing the um, Phoenix Suns, I think it's going to be imperative to know that, you know what, the main guy, if you're going to be needing to get buckets for the Milwaukee Bucks, for the most part, is not going to be Giannis. I think it's more advantageous for Milwaukee 
to go ahead and try to get their points. If you're going to be isolating, if you're going to be running half-court offense, I think the guy for that first is going to be Chris Middleton. And then I think you can kind of switch it between Jeruel Holiday and Giannis, which one is going which. And I think really, in terms of Giannis's concern, he can feed off of what Middleton is doing and also feed off the penetration and feed off the playmaking skills of a Drew Holiday. Holiday is not that what we call classic type of point guard. He is a guy who I think is a really good, not consistent all-star, but I think a really good player, offensive player in terms of getting baskets, in terms of setting people up, being that Allen Iverson, being that combo scoring guard, but also being that point guard who when the time is tight and when the time is made for running some half-court offense that Holiday is pretty proficient in doing that also. So I think with Giannis, the one thing you want to do is you want to keep him inside the three-point line. If you're a Milwaukee Bucks fan and you see Giannis try to do some things, maybe 17, 19 feet, because he doesn't have that in, Giannis is a guy who's going to either score at the rim or he's going to shoot a three. He has not yet – he has not yet um, – uh, got himself a mid-range game. He hasn't uh, put that in his in his tool bag yet. So he's not going to be pulling up from 12 to 15 feet. If he ever learned how to shoot an elbow jumper or a top-of-the-key jumper or even a foul-line extended jumper, uh, you know, Giannis, you know, the clear, you know, the, the horse has left the barn, that type of situation. But, uh, you know, with Giannis, it's dips and do's and, and ups and unders and um, euro steps and everything to get to the to get to the basket, or it's going to be a, a three-point shot. Every once in a while, he do the uh, Dirk Nowitzki three. But, uh, you know, for the most part, it's either feast or famine with Giannis shooting a three or taking it to the, uh, to the hoop. But um, when he backs up and he starts thinking and he starts surmising and he feels that he needs to because he's the man, he's the guy with the max contract, and he's the two-time MVP and all these type of things. I need to take it on my shoulders, and no one in the league can stop me offensively. And he, when he gets that mindset going, and it's like time for me to shoot a three because my defender is five feet off me. I mean, Milwaukee Buck fans, your heart just must stop for a second. Like, oh, for fuck's sake, why? <laughs> so I think in situations like that, half-court offenses like that, down to the game experiences like that, it'd be better off for Chris Middleton to do his thing. And if you really want to get Giannis involved, run some offense with Holiday to where he can get the ball to Giannis, whether he's 12 feet in or whether he can at least have a uh, a runway for him to uh, motor to the basket because of Holiday manipulating the defense to where he can open up a, open up a, a running lane or a, a, a lane to the basket for Giannis to do a thing. Once he gets ahead of steam, Giannis is awesome. He's unbelievable in terms of the flip shots, in terms of the Euro steps, in terms of the up and unders, in terms of the reverse pivots. Pivots, his footwork is very good, but Lord have mercy. When you've got four guys, five guys on the other side looking at Giannis as he backs up to the three-point line, it's like, Lord have mercy, he's either going to shoot a three or he's going to run into somebody. So I think as far as offense, half-court offense is concerned, what the Milwaukee Bucks did in Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals against Atlanta the other night was um, a recipe that they can, should continue to do. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Trey Young scored 35 points for Atlanta on 12 of 23 shooting, 4 assists, 4 turnovers in 39 minutes. But, hold on for a second, he injured his right ankle 
After stepping on an official's foot late in the third quarter, he went to the locker room, came back in the fourth, but really wasn't proficient. You could see that that uh, ankle was bothering him, that injury was bothering him, scored only three points now, is listed as a bone bruise, and he's questionable for game four. Trey Young, questionable for, at this point, the most important game in the season for the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, he's playing. <laughs> I don't know how great he'll be. I don't know if he's going to be game one great. I don't know how good he's going to be, but Trey Young will not be missing this game. I can guarantee that. So, uh, yeah, Atlanta needs him because if they don't have Trey Young, this series is over. Sorry, Kevin Herter. Sorry, Donato Gallinari, who's had at least Gallinari has had good has had a good series, but you know, without Trey Young, that offense goes nowhere. So I cannot imagine what it would be like if Trey Young uh, decides or if Trey Young is not going to uh, be playing. Uh, for game four, but he'll he'll be playing. So he's scheduled for an MRI. He was scheduled for an MRI today and was not committal about playing in game four, but uh, in the post game. But yeah, he'll play. He'll play. My my, uh, I mean, and, and the injury that he had, where he basically was starting to uh, run back on defense. So to gain his momentum to start to run back on defense, he put his foot back to push off, and it just so happened to be right where the, the referee was, and he twisted his ankle. Isn't that like a Kyrie Irving or type of Kyrie Irving or Chris Paul type of injury? I mean, that kind of like bullshit, like Anthony Davis type of injury, where it's kind of like, really? That's what we're going down on? That's what's going to be happening now, especially time and space? I mean, are we even talking about Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals? Oh, yes, we are. But what I'm saying, are we even talking about Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference Finals if they're playing, if uh, Kyrie Irving played for the um, Bucks this entire series and not having that sprained ankle? <clears throat> it's just always these, like, you got to be flipping kidding me type of injuries that um, something like that would happen to a Chris Paul or Kyrie Irving, not um, Trey Young, but it got to him. It got to him. So if Young is going to be compromised with this injury, I'm sorry to say, playing against a team that's already better than them, even with Young at 100%, Atlanta's not going to win another game. They'll be gained. They'll fight hard. Nate McMillan is going to have them fight, uh, play hard and fight hard, but they just don't have the offensive firepower that the Milwaukee Bucks has. And defensively, while they've gotten better under McMillan once he replaced Lloyd Pierce, they're not going to be able to uh, compensate for the lack of offense that they'll be missing if Trey Young is um, not going to be what he needs to be. Because, look, let's put it this way, all right? Trey, he had to be superhuman game one with 48 points and 11 assists. And Milwaukee had to play with the intensity of a Tuesday night game in New Orleans in February type of effort and indifference. And... Atlanta still won that game, 116-113. This wasn't something that was decisive. This wasn't something that was like, oh, shit. It was something to where, damn, you know what? If the Bucks would have just, you know, kind of put a little bit more effort into this, they would have won this game despite Young going for 48 points and 17-34 from the field with 11 assists and a 10 plus minus. So if he's injured, is he going to be able to give that type of performance? Not just once, but three more times? I don't think so. And then not on, and on top of that, and rely on the Bucks to play with the intensity of a regular season game in February, 
Was Chris Middleton shooting 6 of 23 from the field and the team going 8 for 22 from the three-point line? Maybe the exhale of uh, that series against the Brooklyn Nets coming into the forefront for Game 1 in the Eastern Conference Finals, but that was been, that has been quickly rectified where the Milwaukee Bucks opened up a can of whoop-ass like the Brooklyn Nets did them Game 2 and blew the Atlanta Hawks out. Then they get the solid victory on the road for Game 3. Now the blood is in the water. Now they know that uh, Young is injured. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting, I tell you that much. So for the Atlanta Hawks, where's the rest of the help from the Youngettes? The Atlanta Trays and the Trayettes. What's happening, man? What's going on? Bogdan Bogdanovich compromised because of injury, so you know you can't really pile on him that much. But his last five games, the consequence for Indiana, I mean, excuse me, for uh, Atlanta, I'm going to leave out game two loss of to Milwaukee because that wasn't a game of consequence. That was a game where it was just like, burn the tape, don't worry about it, we're moving on, bad night at the office. But if you take a look at the last five games of consequence against the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers, he's shooting 12 of 50 from the floor, 3 of 26 from the three-point line. And he's their second, you know, go-to scorer in terms of creating some offense. Not Kevin Herter, not John Collins. It's Bogdanovich, who before he got before he got injured was great. Had a marvelous series against the um, New York Knicks. But he's been, uh, he has been, as we say, deplugged because of the injury that happened. John Collins, very good in game one. 23 points, 15 rebounds in 37 minutes. Game three, he played only 23 minutes because of foul trouble. Scored 13 points and eight rebounds. If Trey Young is not going to be uh, the Trey Young that we know him to be, uh, we're going to need a little bit more, John. Even 23 and 15 is not going to be able to do some things. I mean, if you're if if Atlanta is going to be serious about doing this, I mean, John has got to get to somewhere around 28 and uh, 28 and 11. He's got to have that kind of a double-double. And especially, again, if Bogdanovich is still going to be hampered, which he is because of injury, someone's going to need to step up who's halfway healthy. Kevin Herter had not made the impact needed for Atlanta to be ahead in this series. Shooting 36% from the field, 33% from the field of three-point line, while averaging 11 points per game in the conference finals. you got to get better. If Young is going to be compromised, you got to get better. You need to uh, push that scoring up to at least 16, 17 points a game. Shooting around the mid-40s. Increasing that three-point percentage. If you're Kevin Herter, if you want the Atlanta Hawks to really make some noise and really be a threat, for winning this series over in Milwaukee. Got to do something. But then again, as I mentioned before, Milwaukee is better with uh, more playoff experience. And boy, how about this, Milwaukee fans? I mean, you were a couple of inches. You were a size... You were a size, what, 11? From the Brooklyn Nets having their season ended. If Kevin Durant... When he pulled up for the three, if he had a size 11 shoe instead of, I don't know what size he wears, but I'm quite sure it's not 11. My point is that if inches away, if he hits a three-pointer and the season's over for Milwaukee, what are we looking at here? We're looking at Mike Bootenholzer being fired. He would be fired already if Durant shot would have been a three instead of a two by inches. Bootenholzer would have been fired. Everybody would have been talking about good riddance. 
Rick Carlisle probably would have been the coach. Everybody would have been saying hallelujah. And now look at this. So for the Mike Bootenholder Bootenholder haters who are going to say, yeah, well, you know what? The Bucks are winning this series despite the fact that uh, Coach Bud is uh, leading them. What do y'all got to say now if he makes it to the NBA Finals? You can't fire him now. Who's going to be in? I, I mean, even if even if you hate Bootenholzer, how can you justify firing the guy if he makes if the Bucks make it to the NBA Finals? Who are you going to bring in? And let's say he wins the NBA Finals. Let's say they beat the Clippers or the Suns in the Finals. You're, you're still going to fire him? What's going to be your take then? Inches. Inches. Inches away in a second-round Eastern Conference playoff series. That's what it is. That's the measurement. That's the length between Bootenholder being fired, good riddance. Now we can finally get a coach in here who's won a championship, who can go ahead, up our offense, make it more diverse, make it more fluent, make it more creative, really tap into the strengths of Giannis, raise up his game another level. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. We get Rick Carlisle. It's almost worth us losing to the Milwaukee Bucks. As it was almost worth us losing to the uh, Brooklyn Nets without Kyrie and a hobbled, and a hobbled uh, James Harden. This, in all actuality, could be the best thing that ever happened to us. Why? Because now we can get ourselves a real coach. You go inches from having that type of conversation, from having those thoughts and opinions, from having that type of uh, scuttlebutt at the barbershop, at the water cooler, to... Oh shit, how about that? The Milwaukee Bucks are 2020-2021 champions. Can't fire him now. <laughs> and if you do fire him, what are you going to do? Bring in Darvin Ham? You're going to elevate Darvin, Darvin Ham to coach? We're going to bring in Wes Unsell Jr.? Going to bring in Becky Hammond? Going to bring in Mike D'Antoni? Going to bring in Jeff Van Gundy? Going to uh, poach Mark Jackson from the ABC booth? You ain't going to be doing that. Mike Bootenholzer, the Bootenholzer even get an extension, pray tell, for those who just can't stand him as a coach and this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. What's up with that, man? What's going on? What is happening with that? So it'll be interesting. It'll all be interesting heading on down, you know, what uh, what the Milwaukee Bucks do, do with uh, the squad that they have. But inches, man, inches from having that conversation. But now, since they cleared that hurdle, and they beat uh, what many people said on talent on paper with the uh, best talent in the Eastern Conference. The Milwaukee Bucks look like their path is clear to getting themselves to the NBA championship. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, W E N D E L L, W A L L 
A-C-E. Again, that's W-E-N-D-E-L-L-W-A-L-L-A-C-E. So glad that you could be with us talking about what's happening in the NBA. Do I want to say anything football-wise? Uh, the player, oh, the name I forgot right now because I really hasn't been, haven't been thinking about it in the uh, last couple of days. The um, football player for the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, that came out and uh, said that he was gay. And uh, hey, man. I don't, I don't, is congratulations, is that appropriate or the right thing to say? It's like, hey, man, good for you. Good for you, man. If it makes you, you know, I mean, good for you. Just, that's what I got to say about it. Good for you. Great for you. And um, we'll see what happens moving forward. But I'm glad to see initially the reaction to this be good. And um, Nesbitt. Oh, I forgot the kid's name, but uh, you know, good for him, man. And I hope this uh, leads to other people feeling the strength and giving the strength and the inspiration to come out and uh, let people know who they are. If it makes them uh, better human beings and makes them better people, and hey, man, better human beings and better people lead to positivity and leads to uh, our country and our world becoming better. So I think it's awesome, and I think it's an opportunity for others to come out if they choose to do so. I'm glad that he's one of the few pioneers who's actually still playing in the league, not retired or anything like that, who's now coming out and letting people know who he is in terms of his uh, sexual preference and stuff. So good for him, man. Awesome. <clears throat> awesome. And I'm, um, I'm glad we're at a point in our society where, you know, some of the fears and stereotypes and the ignorance that would be accompanied a announcement like that in terms of someone saying that he's gay that he's gay that in 2021 those things are not as prevalent as they were 10 15 20 25 30 years ago so we're changing slowly but surely i know black folks like to sit there and talk about nothing changed it's gotten worse and everything like that no no it's getting better it's getting better not not nearly good enough there's a whole lot Miles upon miles upon miles upon miles upon miles of work we need to do in terms of race relations, in terms of respect for each other, in terms of what black people, Asian people, Hispanic people, gay people, and other minorities who are continued to be disrespected, continue to be uh, oppressed and those type of things. There's many, 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 many more Lewis and Clark type of mountains we need to climb to finally get even close to where... We want to go, but hey, man, if we're starting this journey and we started this journey toward equality and for understanding and for respect and for equal opportunity, if that is in, if that is on the Pacific Ocean, say in San Diego, California, and we started this journey long, 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 long ago on the shores of the Atlantic, let's say the, uh, let's say my hometown, Washington, D.C., just because on our journey toward where we want to be as people, where we want to be in terms of interacting, in terms of education, in terms of understanding, in terms of respect and that type of thing, just because that journey toward that goal, which is in California, just because right now we're in Tennessee, doesn't mean that we haven't made progress if we started in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> yeah, we ain't in Washington, D.C., we're in Tennessee. We still got a long fucking way to go, but I'd rather be in Tennessee trying to get to that journey, walking, getting there. I would rather be in Tennessee than I would than than, than uh, back in Washington D.C. 
I hope you all kind of get where I'm coming from. Many strides to go, but black people cannot say that there hasn't been improvement in terms of relationships, in terms of understanding uh, within the within this country, in terms of uh, everything going down between us. Still a long way to go, but uh, we're getting there. I will be around to uh, see it. Maybe Sydney will, my beautiful, wonderful, awesome goddaughter who's going to be 23 in, a, in about five or six weeks. I mean, maybe when she's an old woman, maybe she might see a lot more progress, but um, I'm not going to be around to see it. So it's my responsibility and your responsibility and your wife's responsibility and your brother's responsibility and your uncle's responsibility and everybody's responsibility in my generation to uh, make sure that we uh, pave the way for the younger generation and the younger generation to go on that highway toward equality and understanding and respect for each other to make that smoother, to make that more gettable, to make that more attainable, to make that drive a lot more pleasant, to make that drive a lot easier to uh, get. We're ultimately, maybe in the 20, maybe in the year 2153, where we could finally get there. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. <clears throat> the Eastern and Conference Western Finals. That's what I'm concentrating on in the NBA. New blood, new teams, new potential stars, new storylines for the Conference Finals. I talked about Chris Paul. I talked about Mike Budenholzer. I talked about the possibly, look, Trey Young, right? Trey Young, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, the new star. Trey Young already starting to uh, build his resume, build his brand, build his reputation, build his legend, build his uh, career right now. Well, things are awesome, man. You've got the Hawks and the Bucks in the East. You've got the Clippers and the Phoenix Suns in the West. No, no, no big market teams in these finals. Well, what about Atlanta, Georgia? Come on, man, man. Take that midnight train down to Georgia. Yeah, one of the worst sports markets in the country, man. Y'all know that. Come on, that's ridiculous. Milwaukee, Wisconsin, well, you got the Bucks, you got the Brewers, and that's about it, right, along with the, the um, Green Bay Packers, right? But that's not Chicago. There's more, I mean, when, when you go to a Brewers game, when you go to a Bucks game, when you, well, not a Packers game, but, um, you know, there's going to be more people from Chicago. There's going to be just as many people from Chicago going to a Brewers game, especially if they stink, or going to a Milwaukee Bucks game, especially if the Bulls are good, than, you know, Milwaukee fans, so... Milwaukee was not you was not what you would call a big huge market. Phoenix, Arizona, that's a town of transplants and snowbirds. I've been there for a couple of years, lived there for a couple of years. I know what I'm talking about. Ah, but people say, Wendell, what the fuck are you talking about, you stupid motherfucker, when you're talking about no big market teams? Los Angeles, California, Clippers, hello. Okay, hold on, hold on. Hold on, before y'all start calling me all kinds of names, not the N-word, by the way, well, all these other names, before you stop, before you start uh, cracking on me, let me explain. Yes, the Los Angeles Clippers are in Los Angeles, California. The number two media market in the country. I get it, I understand. But let me tell you something also. The Clippers, despite being in the LA market, are still the worst, quote-unquote, afterthought team from a major market in sports. I'm sorry. Southern California and surrounding areas from San Jacinto to Fresno to Bakersfield. That's LA Laker territory, baby. I mean, we ain't Canada in terms of, like in hockey, like if the Montreal Canadiens and the 
Quebec Nordiques and the Toronto, almost said Argonauts, Toronto Maple Leafs, the Vancouver Canucks. Like, if there's a team playing for the Stanley Cup Finals from Canada, all of Canada is cheering for that team, right? It's not like fucking Montreal ain't in it. I don't give a fuck. Like, if it's going to be the New York Islanders or the, or the Tampa Bay Lightning versus the wonderful Vancouver Canucks, or if it's going to be the uh, Los Angeles Kings versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, all of Canada is rooting for the Maple Leafs. All of Canada will be rooting for the Vancouver Canucks. Tonight, all of Vancouver against Tampa is going to be rooting for the Canadians. It ain't like that in the selfish, ignorant, divided states of America, man. It ain't like that. Yeah, you'll have some Laker fans talking about, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing the Clippers win, but ain't nobody's going to be like, well, you know what, since the Lakers lost, oh yeah, man, I'm going to be all in with the with the Clippers. No, man, it, it, ain't, it ain't like that. The Clippers are always going to be imposters. The Clippers are always, not even their little brother, the Clippers are always going to be that adopted child that no one really wants. They came from Buffalo. Well, the Lakers came from Minneapolis, yeah, but there's a lot more history to that with the Lakers. The Lakers, the home, the team, the legend, the franchise, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor, Wilt Chamberlain, even though he only played there three years, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, even though he came from Milwaukee, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, even though he came from Orlando. But, you know, we're talking about big time. We're talking about the forum. We're talking about Showtime. We're talking about Jack. We're talking about Diane. We're talking about Denzel. We're talking about Paula Abdul and the Laker girls. We're talking about Dr. Jerry Buss being an old man still banging 20-year-olds and doing his thing. We're, we're talking about that atmosphere. We're talking about, you know, magic. We're talking about Showtime. We're talking about all that great stuff. What do we got with the Clippers? Where are we going with the Clippers? What's the history with the Clippers? Where's the panache with the Clippers? Where's the sexiness with the Clippers? What, Chris Paul a little bit? Blake Griffin? Bill Walton on his broken-ass feet? Terry Cummings for a couple of years? And that was even down when they were in San Diego. Danny Manning? Elton Brand for a few years? Corey Maggette? Lloyd Vaught? Come on, man, get out of here with that nonsense. We're speaking about, man... You want to know how this is going to be a Laker town and why? Because the Clippers are in the number two market. That's still the fact that they're going to be in the conference final and maybe make it to the NBA final. That doesn't constitute that all of a sudden now the league is going to be saved with television ratings and such because we got ourselves the number two market in the NBA finals, the LA market in the finals. It doesn't mean anything like that. Look, man, again, for those who are sitting there talking about we're going to get the LA market in the NBA finals because the Clippers are in the finals. Elliot's, Los Angelinos, most of them ain't going to be gravitating toward the Clippers. Never have, never will. From 2012 to 2019, seven flipping years, maybe before LeBron came in, the Lakers were one of the worst and most inept franchises in the NBA. You remember them days? You remember that time? After Kobe retired, or the last couple of years of Kobe, then Kobe got out, and then you had to deal with that nonsense for a while, with Luke Walton as the coach, and then blowing through first-round picks like butter and not getting anything out of them, going through Lonzo Ball, going through um, Brandon Ingram, going through D'Angelo Russell, going through Julius Randle, going through all those guys, all of those high draft picks that the Lakers got, right? How many of them are still on the team right now? How did that building process go? 
How did that process work in terms of that? The Lakers from 2012 and 2019, man, they had four seasons where they lost 50-plus games and two seasons where they lost 60. Five times they finished fourth or fifth in the Pacific Division and six times they finished 10th or lower in the Western Conference. Over that same period where the Lakers stunk out loud and every Sunday night when I would watch them after the football game, they would go ahead and get their ass kicked. And watching them on the... Um, on the LA channel out here, channel 1066 out here in Vegas. Over the same period of time where the Lakers were stinking out loud, and Stu Lance had to laugh about how bad they were when he was doing the telecast, the Clippers were one of the more successful teams in the league. Yeah, they didn't make it to the finals. Yeah, they didn't win a championship. But still, you're talking about over that same period of time where the Lakers were inept, incompetent, rudderless, going nowhere, embarrassing themselves with the whole... Ownership organization nonsense. The Clippers made the finals, made the, excuse me, made the playoffs seven times. They won 50 or more games in the season five times. Four times they finished fourth or higher in the conference. They had Blake Griffin. They had Chris Paul. They had DeAndre Jordan, Doc Rivers at the coach. That was a solid team. J.J. Redick at the floor spacer. You had Lob City. You had Blake Griffin coming in, winning the dunk contest with the uh, with the Baptist uh, him, him group, jumping over Ikea. You had Blake Griffin doing really entertaining commercials. I mean, it was high time, and guess what? No one gave a fuck. Guess what? It was still in L.A. town. Guess what? It was still the most popular team in town by miles. So don't give me that, man. The Clippers are the worst afterthought in the league. So this nonsense about, yeah, big fucking deal about the Atlanta Hawks, big fucking deal about the Milwaukee Bucks, a big fucking deal about the uh, Phoenix Suns because we have the L.A. market to save our asses. They're an afterthought. The Clippers are an afterthought. The Clippers don't have LeBron. The Clippers aren't defending champions. The Clippers don't have A.D. They're still the flipping Clippers. You still have no personality whatsoever in Kawhi Leonard. You have playoff P, Paul George for years. has been a clown show in the playoffs. You have Tyron Lue, good guy, nice guy, but still indiscreet in terms of the uh, more interesting coaches or more of the uh, coaches of, uh, of, of, of known quantity. <clears throat> you know, that's what we're talking about here. They're the flipping Clippers. Idaho might be Laker town. It ain't Clipper town. Albuquerque, New Mexico, might be Laker Town. It ain't Clipper Town. Reno, Nevada, might be Laker Town. Ain't Clipper Town. Boise, Idaho, wouldn't they be Portland Trailblazer fans? I don't know, but you get my drift. That whole region is all about Laker fans. So just because the Clippers might make the NBA Finals if they can come back from 3-1, that don't mean shit. Other afterthought teams in big markets, what, you got in baseball, you got the Mets, you got the Chicago White Sox, you got the Oakland A's, you got the Los Angeles Angels. All more interesting than the Los Angeles Clippers. In the NFL, you got the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. You got the Oakland Raiders, who are still the bitches of San Francisco when they were in Oakland. One of the reasons why they moved to the Las Vegas area. Afterthoughts, afterthoughts. And in the NBA, you got the Clippers, and you got the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets have Kevin Durant. The Brooklyn Nets have Kyrie Irving. The Brooklyn Nets have the best player in the game today, Kevin Durant. 
And the Knicks are the Knicks. The Knicks are still owned by James Dolan. And for the New York area, for the Tri-States, for New Jersey, for Albany, for Schenectady, for, uh, I don't know, Syracuse, for Rochester, it's all about the flipping New York Knicks. Don't matter how many superstars that the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Nets can go 82-0 and win the NBA championship next season. And the Knicks can go back to being the Knicks. They're still going to be New York. Surrounding areas is still going to be a Knicks town. So it's the same thing with the flipping Clippers. So when I say that there's no big market squads in the conference finals to bail out the television ratings or to bail out those who are going to be talking about, man, we need the New York market, we need the LA market, we need the Chicago market, or we need the Glamour teams, we need the Lakers, or we need the Knicks, or we need the Warriors, or we need Steph, or we need LeBron, or any of those things. Ain't happening, not happening, not going to be happening this year. Playing in the NBA championship, man, the Hawks and the Clippers, They've never played in the NBA Finals. Interesting. That would be an interesting matchup, right? That would be something that uh, you could go on a little bit. The Milwaukee Bucks hadn't played in the NBA Finals since they lost to the Boston Celtics in 1974. I believe one of the last seasons for Oscar Robertson. And then, was he Lou Alcindor? No, I think he was then. I think he changed his name to uh, Kareem um, for that season. But, uh, yeah, the Bucks haven't won a championship since... Uh, they haven't won a championship since... Kareem played at Lou Alcindor, I believe, back in 70-71. So it's been a while. It's been a minute for the Milwaukee Bucks. Phoenix had been playing in the finals since 1992. That team with Tom Chambers and Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley and Danny Ainge and, of course, the MVP, Charles Barkley, where they lost in six games to the Chicago Bulls because Barkley decided to leave, rotate, and leave John Paxson wide, flipping open for a three to uh, win the game for them. So this is going to be flesh, a fresh blood, man. We're not getting the same old squads. We're not getting the Golden State Warriors. We're not getting the Miami Heat. We're not getting the Los Angeles Lakers. We're not getting the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're not getting those same old teams. We're not getting the same old matchups. We're not getting the same old squads. And we're not getting the same old stars. And I think that's great. Now, you might say, well, Wendell, yeah, you think it's great because you love the NBA. The NBA is my Halle Berry. The NBA is my Felicia Hamm. The NBA is my um, Layla Roshan. The NBA is my wife. The NBA is my death do us part. My NBA is my, my my everything. So, yeah, of course, you're going to like it. Fuck, you would watch the NBA Finals, Wendell, if it, if it was the flipping Sacramento Kings versus the Orlando flipping Magic or the Indiana Pacers. So, you know, take your opinion about this is wonderful, this is awesome with a grain of salt. For those who are, for those who have the attitude of the NBA about, well, you know, big fucking deal, all it is is now it's about three-point shooting, it's about slam dunks, even though the NBA has too many three-point shots, and, um, um, you know, the the officiating is bad, and um, I hate LeBron James, and he'll never be as good as Michael Jordan, and all of this bullshit that... uh, People complain about with the with the NBA. Yeah, you're right. I would watch fucking Oklahoma City play the um, hmm, play the Minnesota Timberwolves. That would be an interesting NBA Finals if both of them are in the Western Conference. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll watch I'll watch that game in February because I'm an NBA fan. So yeah, you know, take my woohoo. You're going to have new blood in the NBA Finals with a grain of salt. But let me tell you something, man. We we got to start somewhere. If you're in the NBA and you want to start cultivating some new 
fans to your league because the NBA is too woke, the NBA is too black, the NBA is too political, the NBA is too this. The, I remember back in the good old days where, uh, you know, you had the bad boys and you had Larry Bird and you had Magic Johnson. Those were the good old days and MJ and all this other nonsense and all this other bullshit because my stupid ass can't move on from the past. You know, we got to somehow try to get those fans back. We got to somehow introduce and try to attract those fans back the ones who wouldn't watch an NBA basketball game if they were playing in their living room. We got to try to get those fans back. Look, Steph, LeBron, and all those guys are wonderful, fantastic, but they ain't going to be playing forever. LeBron James is, what, 37 years old? LeBron James played over 50,000 minutes. LeBron James ain't going to play forever. I know it seems that way because he's a genetic freak and an unbelievable basketball player, keeps himself in tip-top condition, and still in the 17th year, Proved to be one of the best players still in the league until an ankle injury took him down. But sooner or later, more sooner than later, LeBron James is not going to be that guy that can that the NBA can rely on, that it can hang his hat on, that it can save them from. You know, David Stern once said the best, the, the, the greatest thing for me in terms of what an NBA Finals could be would be the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Los Angeles Lakers. It's about time we start cultivating new stars. It's about time that we start digging up and building and growing some new stars we we gotta do it man we gotta do it just like it it, it happens reciprocal you know we couldn't rely on michael jordan forever we couldn't rely on the boston celtics la lakers rivalry forever right i mean we have to move on those guys weren't going to be playing forever i think now this is a great opportunity for the league to start introducing some really young good fresh awesome talents, and still mixed in with the Chris Pauls of the world. I mean, we have a Giannis. We have a Devin Booker. We have a Trey Young. We have these guys in the conference finals. Let's go, man. Let's get excited about it. Let's. Well, what's the problem here? What's the deal here? We got ourselves a guy that you can hate in the Elder Barge wannabe Trey Young. We have ourselves someone like the Greek freak who was humble and come from a great um, story in terms of what he had to overcome. We, we have that. You know, we have the we have the Kardashian factor even in, in Devin Booker, who right now is dating, what, what's that girl's name? Kendall Jenner or whoever that, that girl is? So we, 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 we've even got a situation where we can even bring in a, a Kardashian. What in the name of Chris Humphreys is going on? We could even replace, as the NBA replaces his old stars, with new fresh blood in terms of, uh, you know, saying, hey, how you do this, that, and the other. Just like the Kardashians, man. Kim Kim Kardashian ain't going to look that good forever. Her ass ain't going to be that big and look that juicy forever. Same thing with Chloe. Same thing with, um, who's the other Kardashian? I don't know, the best looking one. But, uh, you know, they're going to get old too. You know, time for the um, next wave of the Kardashians to come in. Kendall and, I don't know who else. So that's what I'm saying. So bringing in that other factor, it works. I like it. And you should like it too. Bring uh, Trey Young, how can you not either love or hate Trey Young? You love his swag, you love his confidence, what he brings to the table, or you hate the fact that he brings his swag and his confidence to the table. Oh, I'm sorry, what the fuck? When do you become the next Michael Jordan with your shimmy shape? What the fuck's up with that bullshit? Now all of a sudden you want to see that motherfucker get beat. You want to see one of those guys take that little five-foot... 85-pound whip and dunk him into the basket while they're singing, ooh, well, I like it. 
You send chills up my spine every time I take one look at you. Elder Barge. So, <laughs> so it's like there's something for everybody here that you guys can enjoy. You know? So hey man, let's let's get into this. I'm 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 happy. I'm I'm motivated. I'm interested to see what's going down. You know? And I mentioned before, this Trey Young, Luka Doncic thing, that's not going that's not going away. I mean, we still got Luka. We still got Zion how he's going to uh pan out. You know, we still got some other stars coming through the pipeline. I'm interested to see what LaMelo uh, La Ball is going to turn himself into playing for Charlotte. Not the Knicks, not the Bulls, not the Lakers. Looks like Luka's going to sign that five-year contract extension with the Mavs, not with the Heat, not with the uh, Knicks, not with the Lakers, not with the big market squad, even though Dallas is a pretty big market, but not with any historical teams. All right, all right. Let's see what J.K. can do with that with that young with that young buck, with that building bulging legend to be, bad boy Luca. I mean, Luca's got a little swag. The white boy's got a little swag in him. That's Slovenia boy. He's got a little swag to him. He's got a little confidence to him. He's got a little edge to him. He's got a little you love him or you hate him to him. He's got a little like need to watch him. I want to watch him, you know, do some work or I want to see someone, you know, shut his mouth and, and beat him. He's got a little of that to him as he as he basically takes over the league in the next five to six years. League is going well, man. The league is going great. And we're speaking about, man, down the road, Trey Young, Luka Doncic, this, that, and the other. Yeah, it ain't Magic or Bird because they won't be guarding each other if they make it to the NBA Finals, this, that, and the other. But still, you got two young guys, confidence as all get up, swag, personality, got the thing going, it's going to be awesome. You know, the league is cultivating these stars. And who's going to find out what's going to be happening in terms of who won that draft class? Who's going to turn out to be the better player, Luka or Trey Young? Still giving it to Luka because, for me, for Trey Young to justify the trade that the Atlanta Hawks made, trading Luka for Trey Young, when everything is all said and done, for me to say, yeah, that was justifiable. Yeah, that worked out great. Young is going to have to go down as one of the greatest point guards or small men in NBA history. Oh, by the way, he also should win a couple of championships and be in a top three to five player in the league for a five to eight year, for a five to eight year stretch. For me, that's how high I think of Luka. Because I think Luka's going to win championships. I think Luka's going to win MVPs. And I think Luka's going to shape the game uh, much differently. I think Luka is going to be that impact player that's going to have effect on players coming into the league 10, 15, 20 years from now. I think his style of play, I think the way that he plays, I think the fact that you don't need to be an uber athlete, but you don't need to be a LeBron James genetic freak to be able to dominate a league like Luka's going to be able to do for the next, I don't know, maybe in two to three years, you're going to be starting a stretch where Luka's going to be dominating the game for the next five, six, seven, eight years. I think that type of impact that Lucas have is going to have the effect, and I think it's going to have a worldwide effect. Lucas is going to be the first foreign-born superstar who's really going to have a huge impact because of the impact that it'll have in Europe and seeing European players starting out to play basketball. They're going to be looking at Luka. And they're going to be looking at how he plays. And they're going to say, wow, just like him and Jokic. Wow, you mean I don't have to have a 40-something inch vertical and be 6'9 and have the body of Adonis and, have, and run a 4'140 
to be able to uh, have a great NBA career. I can be too slow. I can be unathletic and still win an MVP like Jokic did. I can still uh, be 6'8 and still not have incredible hops and incredible speed and beat someone off the dribble because of my athletic prowess. I don't need to be like that and still I can dominate the lead like Luka is doing. And all I need to do is learn fundamentals and footwork and that type of thing. Shit, let me get out here on the streets of Slovenia, on the streets of Turkey, on the streets of Greece, on the streets of Germany. I don't know, man. I'm just bullshitting right now. And go ahead and see what I can do to get my game going. That's going to be it for Luka. Is Trey Young going to have that effect? Because Trey Young is also another guy where he ain't stature, physical stature, Trey Young ain't, ain't uh, you know, he ain't Isaiah Thomas quickness. You know, he doesn't have Russell Westbrook's speed, athleticism, and power. So Trey Young is another guy where guys who might be 5'11", 5'10", 6 feet, 6'1", they can look at Trey Young and be like, man, you know what? I don't need to be, you know, I don't need to be incredibly fast or whatever to be a really, really good basketball player. Steph Curry started that, started that run. Trey Young is the recipient of it. Who's going to be the other group of folks from the younger generation to come in and uh, pick up where Trey Trey Young's impact has uh, left? So there you go, man. I'm I'm excited. Viewership for the 2021 NBA playoffs across TNT, ESPN, and ABC is up 39% versus last season. Now, I know what y'all motherfuckers are going to say. Oh, yeah, big fucking deal. No one watched the NBA playoffs last year. They're only up 39%. Who watched the NBA playoffs when they were in that damn bubble with nobody there when football was right around the corner? If you can't dominate this rating from last season, then you you it's a fool of the fools, Wendell, to think that the NBA is going to be in good shape. Hey, you know what? I'll take it. 39%? I'll take it. The viewership share for this year's playoffs is at its highest since the league first began logging that data during the 2000-2003 season. Yeah! What's viewership share, you say? Let me explain. It's a way to measure ratings against the past NBA seasons while factoring the reduced number of homes that still use linear cable television. You know, them young folks, man, they're watching these games on their tablet and on their phone and all this other stuff that I can't even pronounce. So it's like, look, I'm old school. I'm old. You know, I'm traditional. I'm watching these games on the television. I want to watch these games on the television. I ain't watching it on my iPad. I ain't watching it on my phone. I ain't watching it on my computer. I'm old, cranky, get off my lawn, way past my prime, shelling my former self type of motherfucker, and I love it. Turn on that cable motherfucking television and let me watch some NBA basketball, biatch. So, (laughs) there we go with that. So, you know, according to Alex Kennedy of Basketball News, NBA Instagram account surpassed 57 million followers. Hello, so far this postseason, the league has generated more than 1.1 billion video views. What you talking about the NBA is dead? What you talking about Black Lives Matter and these black these black NBA basketball players standing up for what's right and being social activists and folks are going to kill the league? Man, what fucking part, what dumbass from Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, northern Florida, northern Ohio, and Michigan? Man, y'all stupid motherfuckers need to get out a little bit more. Turn off the Fox News and stop watching that fucking idiot who was the president for the last four years and learn some things, jokers. So, there you go, man. The NBA's YouTube videos have garnered 175 million. And, uh... 
We've watched over 15 million of hours. So there you go. Best time to start introducing some teams and some storylines into the NBA playoffs. Because right now, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll head off with this. There's no dynasties, man. Golden State ain't coming back. That 2015-19 dynasty, your girlfriend, Golden State Warriors, they ain't coming back through that door. The team that won five, that won, um, that made it to five straight NBA finals, winning three, back-to-back in 2017 and 18, they ain't walking through that door. Set the NBA record for most regular season wins with 73 wins in 2016. They ain't ringing that doorbell. The five-year record of 322 and 88, a 785 winning percentage, Mm-mm, they ain't calling for an Uber. Winning 67 or more games three times, lowest win total being 57. Having players like Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Draymond Green. Having role players like Andre Iguodala, David West, Sean Livingston, Kevon Looney. Mm-mm. That's, that's gone, son. They ain't coming back. They ain't knocking on that door. They ain't driving into the driveway. They ain't walking up your street. They ain't walking into your classroom. They ain't shaking your hand. That is done and it is gone. So for the next couple of years, we're going to have some teams that we're not going to have repeaters. We're not going to have the old nonsense about, oh, well, yeah, you know, this fucking sucks because, yeah, we all knew that the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers were going to be in the NBA Finals. So if you're the Chicago Bulls, if you're the Indiana Pacers, if you're the Denver Nuggets, if you're the L.A. Clippers, if you're all these teams, why even play the fucking regular season games? You know you ain't going to win. You know you ain't going to make it to the NBA Finals. No one in the Western Conference is going to beat the uh, Golden State Warriors. They're too fucking good. So who gives a fuck about the regular season? Who gives a fuck about the playoffs? Shit, who gives a fuck about the NBA? So what What? What direction are we going in here, folks? Do you want to see dominance from one team or do you want to see parity? Because again, before that dynasty, official dynasty, which was the Golden State Warriors, there were some many dynasties out there. Miami made the uh, finals four straight years, winning two in a row from 2011 to 2014. The LA Lakers went back-to-back and made it a three straight finals from 2008 to 2010. The San Antonio Spurs and the LA Lakers were in the finals every year except for 2006 from 1999 to 2007, a span of nine years, with the Spurs winning four championships, the Lakers repeating from 2000 to 2002. The only current team with the remote possibility of becoming any type of a mini-dynasty right now is the Brooklyn Nets. And do you trust Kyrie and KD and James Harden? Do you? Do you? So, hey, man, that's that's the deal. That's the deal. So we, we've got teams like Philadelphia, like Utah, like the Clippers, like Milwaukee, like the Knicks, like Denver, Phoenix, Dallas. Atlanta, a couple of years, man, you might be seeing one of those teams in an NBA final. You know, teams aren't built for becoming dynasties like the 1980s Lakers and Celtics or the 1990s Chicago Bulls or the Spurs or the Lakers or the Heat or the Warriors right now. For the next five or six years, they ain't going to be happening. There's no free agency of importance. There's no player out there who's going to turn the tide right now I don't know a team right now that could add a Damian Lillard and you would make them the NBA Finals contender. I don't know a team right now that you could add a Bradley Beal that would automatically make them a perennial NBA contenders unless you add them to the 
Brooklyn Nets, and that ain't going to be happening. I mean, I don't think the Dallas Mavericks are going to be trading Christoph Porzingis for Damian Lillard anytime soon. So those squads, man, you know, they've got a chance. So out with the old, out with the mini dynasties, out with uh, the Lakers, out with the uh, LeBrons, out with the Steph Currys. Not saying that those guys are done for good because we never know. But let's just get used to it. It introduced the uh, introduced the casual fan to the Trey Youngs and the Devin Bookers and the new blood in the NBA because still, NBA, come on, man. Whether it's LeBron or Dev Book, whether it's the Lakers or the Bucks, whether it's the Warriors or the Hawks, NBA action, in my humble opinion, is still fantastic. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the program. Final segment of the podcast. Good to be back. Very good to be back. Great to be back. Awesome to be back. Feeling good. Feeling fantastic. Two more days. June is over the 30th. My assignment for the elementary school is over. I'm going to celebrate. I can't celebrate too much though because since I'm um, since I'm trying to lose some weight, can't get a burger, can't get fries, can't get chicken wings, can't get a 64 ounce big gulp of Dr Pepper and Coke mixed in together, can't uh, get a pizza. Not yet, not yet. And it hurts. And it really hurts. Because wouldn't I love to have a corny soda burrito and three roll tacos right now? Man, it would be something else. But you know what? I got my fat ass into this shape. I got to do what I got to do to uh, get myself back to where, you know, at least I can put on my pants again without, like, suck it in. So, you know, it's the way it is, man. way it is. Kids growing old mentally, fantastic. Growing old physically sucks. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Let me end with this, man. What's going to be happening with some of the teams that lost in the second round? I'm speaking about the Utah Jazz. Speaking about the Brooklyn Nets. Hey, look, for Utah, inexcusable, unacceptable loss to the um, L.A. Clippers. Losing four straight. Losing the last two games without the services of Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers. Losing on your home court. Losing a 25-point lead in the second half. Everybody's up there ripping Quinn Snyder about, man, he should have done this. He should have taken out Rudy Gobert. Yes, Rudy Gobert was an absolute unbelievable train wreck out there in game six in the second half. But number one, 
the Jazz did get a 25-point lead with Gobert on the floor. And it would be nice if the defenders, the perimeter defenders for Utah could have, I don't know, maybe stopped the penetration from the Clippers to have Gobert start rotating around to where he's running out to the perimeter trying to uh, chase Terrence Mann off the three-point line and giving the Clippers shooters wide open looks from the three-point range. I don't know, taking out Gobert, everyone's talking about, well, the situation, the enema to relieve that situation with the Clippers when they were coming back with the takeout Rudy Gilbert, who were you going to put in there? Like, all of a sudden, Derek Favors was going to be that much better? The Clippers started rolling. It was too late to do anything. Quinn Snyder had a bad night in the second half, but what else are you going to do? When Joe Inglis couldn't guard anybody, when Bogdanovich couldn't guard anybody, when Mitchell was hampered with an ankle injury, so he couldn't guard anybody. Jordan Clarkson has never been known to be guarding anybody or defending anybody. So you had a team out there who couldn't defend on the perimeter. So whether it was Rudy Gobert or whether it was Reggie um, uh, Derek Favors, it wouldn't have made a difference. Mike Connolly tried his best, but he was hampered. He was injured. I give the man credit for going out there and gutting out the performance that he gave, but due to injury... He couldn't be as impactful as he could have been. And um, Donovan Mitchell was injured. So it's it was a compromise type of deal for the Clippers, excuse me, for the Utah Jazz even moving forward. My thing now with the Jazz is, is that because of these injuries, how do we know that the Jazz are nothing more than a regular season team? How do we know that the Jazz can even do something in the playoffs? Because, yeah, you can talk about Mitchell being injured, but, I mean, I'm sorry, the Clippers were playing without their best player, one of the top ten players in the league. So you, you, can't, be, you can't be giving me that nonsense. So with the clip, with the, uh, damn it, with the Jazz, where do we go from here? What do we do with this? Where do we go as far as running it back is concerned? You're not going to be able to trade Gobert. You sign him to the max. You're not going to trade Donovan Mitchell because you're not the Lakers and because you're not in the net franchise. I mean, the only team that could get away with doing something that nutty would be the Los Angeles Lakers, but because because of their market, it'd be a situation where, okay, we'll trade Mitchell now, and when he hits up free agent, he'll just want to come back to the uh, L.A. market. So the Utah Jazz are not going to uh, do that situation. What are you going to do? Are you going to, what are you going to get for someone like a Jordan Clarkson? What can you get for someone like a Joe Inglis, who I think is a free agent? So well, what are we going to do here with the Utah Jazz to try to get better? The only trade chip you might have is Bogdanovich, but what are you going to get back for him? And where do we go in terms of, you know, we've we've heard some buzz today about the possibility of Damian Lillard maybe starting to ask for a situation where, you know what, maybe it'd be better if I just went somewhere else because I've given you my loyalty, I've given you my, you know, I've given you everything I've got for a good amount of years we're no further to the NBA championship now than I was when I first got to Portland. In a situation like this, man, if Damian Lillard does ask for a trade, Portland fans, you can't even be upset about that. You can't even be angry about that. The work that he's done in the community, the work that he's done with the uh, organization, the way that he's conducted himself on the court, the way that he's brought the shine of Oakland and the shine of who he is and what he's all about to Portland and giving you the type of loyalty and the type of performance that he has. Come on, man, after eight or nine years, it's not Damian Lillard's fault that Portland is still in the position that they are in. 
in terms of not being close to winning an NBA championship. And now we have a league right now that doesn't have a dominant team, that doesn't have a um, team that looks like it's going to dominate or become a dynasty, with the exception of possibly the Brooklyn Nets. There are no super teams out there. LeBron is getting old in the tooth. The Golden State Warriors are rebuilding. If you're Damian Lillard, I mean, you, how much faith now do you have in Neil O'Shea and the organization to put together something to where, let's take advantage of the fact that, you know what, you give me something to work with, you give me a Robin that's really a Robin, Lord knows I'm Batman, surround me with something, and let's compete for the next two or three years before one of these teams separate themselves from the pack, before Luka gets somebody that can elevate his squad to championship form for multiple years, before Jamal Murray comes back and Michael, uh, Michael Porter Jr. might ascend to something to where with Jokic, they can have a big three, and Denver might emerge as that team. The Lakers might pick up somebody through trade or free agency to keep up with Anthony Davis that can make them a title contender. Kawhi Leonard comes back with Paul George, and maybe those guys with the Clippers can become that team. Let, let, let's, if I'm Dane Lillard, if I'm going to stay in Portland, man, what are you going to do to show me that we're going to be able to compete with those teams and those circumstances and those situations for the next couple of years. Tell me what I want to hear. And if I don't want to hear it, and if I don't like what you're singing to me, I got to change that tune and go somewhere else. So Donovan Mitchell, I think possibly might be starting to get to where Dean Lillard is right now. To like, hey, look, man, I'm in Utah. Okay, so even with me being a great teammate and being a great guy and maybe, you know, formulating some relationships with other star players through the All-Star game or through the international player, whatever, if I decide to do that later on down the road. But I'm fucking in Utah, man. You know, so for us to win a championship, for us to build, we've got to get lucky in the draft. We've got to draft extremely well. We have to be very selective and very cognizant of who we bring in as a free agent that can help us. We're not the Lakers who can stink out loud and miss on draft picks and miss on free agencies and not develop our players. And then all of a sudden, LeBron decides that he wants to come to the Lakers and AD wants to follow. We, we, we're, we're not in that position. We're not in a big market like New York to where someone like a Kyrie and a KD are wanting to uh, plant their, their, their flags with that franchise. We're not in the L.A. market where Kawhi, who lives right down the road in San Diego and is from Riverside, and Paul George, who grew up in the L.A. surrounding areas and always wanted to be playing for his hometown team, if not the Lakers, then the Clippers. I mean, Utah doesn't have those type of advantages. So if you're Donovan Mitchell, you're like, so how are we actually going to do this? Because if this is the team that's going to be constituted for the next couple of years, as far as my teammates are concerned, and we're going to be continuing to falter in the areas that we're going to be faltering, I don't know if I can even stick, I don't know if I can stick around, and that is even with Quinn Snyder, one of the best coaches in the league, as your head coach. I don't even know if just having Quinn Snyder in a very good front office and a very young, energetic, enthusiastic, think-outside-the-box type of ownership, which Dwayne Wade is a part of, who's my mentor, I don't even know if that's going to be enough to say, look, man, maybe y'all need to trade me to another destination. So, with the Jazz, we don't know. We don't know about that team. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And the Brooklyn Nets, hey, man, they still got a few more good years left. Injuries, I think, curtailed them. But let's see what they can do in terms of playing together. They showed that, look, we don't need to be playing the majority amount of time to be a force in 
the NBA playoffs. They were doing quite well in the playoffs until Kyrie got hurt and James uh, sprained or tore his um, hamstring. So this is a, something where with Brooklyn moving forward, we can still do the load management. We can still do the maintenance with the three stars that we have. And we can still be rip-roaring, ready to go once the playoffs start. Health is going to be the deciding factor in this. And what do you do about Joe Harris, who is shown multiple times in the playoffs that when the stage gets brighter, he gets smaller. So he did that in the first round against the Philadelphia 76ers a couple of years ago when he couldn't hit an outside shot to save his life. And then this playoff series against Milwaukee where he was missing in action in terms of the skill level that he brings, has his expertise that he brings to the court, namely his three-point and outside shooting. What do you do with Harris now that he's a free agent? So those are some of the things. But as long as you got KD, Kyrie, and James ready to go once the playoff starts, the Brooklyn Nets should be pretty good. I want to talk about, though, the end off with the most disappointing team in the playoffs, which are the Philadelphia 76ers. Lost again to the Atlanta Hawks in seven games, losing three of the four games on their home court. Lost game seven to Atlanta, 103-96, despite Trey Young going five for 23 from the field, 211 from the three-point line. The Sixers had a 2-1 series lead and then lost three consecutive games. Game four, they lost when they wasted an 18-point lead. Game five, they had a 20-point second half, a 26-point second half lead. They lost that, and then the collapse in game seven. Ben Simmons passing up a dunk to uh, pass it to Matisse Thibel, who got fouled but missed one or two free throws, and that changed the momentum of the game. And, and it also, I think, really ingrained and cemented the fact for Atlanta that Ben Simmons don't want to be out here. We, we we got ourselves someone who's mentally weak as of right. I'm talking about right now in this situation, right now, game seven in this environment, Ben Simmons don't want to be here. Ben Simmons is not confident. Ben Simmons is mentally checked out. So we've got a um, big hurdle that's being cleared because the other things that Ben Simmons brings to the table, his playmaking, his defense, and everything else, that has gone by the wayside because of his lack of confidence in his offensive game. It has now put a dent. It has now put a, uh, it has affected the other thing that he's doing at this present time. So that had to be a confidence build booster for the Atlanta Hawks moving forward. So season's over for Philadelphia. What about the process, man? Is it dead? Is it over? Continued to be determined, complete, utter failure? What's, what's up, man? What's up with this process? Is it What's the definition now of this process? Because the birth of the process was the 2013-14 season, and basically it lasted to the 2017 season. So how are we defining this? How are we marking this? How are we judging this? Because from 2013 to 2017, that team only won 23% of its games, 75 and 253, and still charging full prices to go watch that garbage, to go watch my boys from Georgetown, Hollis Thomas, and, uh, oh my goodness, the big man whose name I forgot, Henry Sims, play basketball, who should be who should have been playing either overseas or in the uh, minor leagues. That team, for four years, went 19-63, and 18-64, 10-72, and 28-54 overall. And it had to take some years off of uh, Brett Brown's not just physical well-being, but also his mental well-being. But, look, 
2014, they drafted Joel Embiid. He misses two and a half years. Alfred Payton is drafted number 10 in 2014. We start building. 2015, drafted Jaleel Okafor. Oh, shit. Should have drafted Devin Booker and Miles Turner. But we're building. 2016, they drafted Ben Simmons, number one. The next, Magic Johnson. 6'9", point guard skills. Um, you know, the next generation Magic Johnson without proving it yet. But that's the type of skill set that he had without the um, shooting. Well, Magic couldn't shoot either, but, you know, at least he shot the ball. Then in 2017, he traded, uh, Philadelphia traded with the Boston Celtics for the number one pick and then drafted, no, not Jason Tatum or Donovan Mitchell, Markel Fultz. Damn it! So, look, the foundation for the process the payoff for the process was supposed to be 2017 to the present, right? Those four seasons, not bad. 195, 114, 631 winning percentage, 3-4 and four in the uh, playoffs. Had their best team a couple of years ago, and through all them picks and through all that nonsense, they got themselves Jimmy Butler. Took Toronto to seven games where Kawhi Leonard hit the shot. Heard around the world, the doink, 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 bounce in. Joel <laughs> had to be consoled by Marcus Saul. But it was a situation where Jimmy didn't want to have to deal with Brett Brown. So we alpha dogs had made his way to uh, Miami, fit more of the culture, fit more of the uh, mentality. So what do we do now with the Celtics now? I mean, excuse me, what do we do now with the 76ers? Because this was their best chance to win a championship since the 1982-83 season of faux faux faux. So with your Philadelphia, where do you go from there? What do we do with Ben Simmons, right? Because in the seven games against the Hawks, he took a total of three field goals in four quarters, right? He was often on the bench in crunch time because Philadelphia, Doc Rivers couldn't risk him being fouled because during the playoffs, I'm sorry, his free throw shooting was, oh, I don't know, the worst in NBA playoff history for those who have shot 70 or more free throws. 15 for 50, excuse me, 15 for 45, on foul shots against, in the, in the playoffs. No, I'm sorry, 15 for 45 on foul shots against Atlanta and shot 34% from the line in the playoffs overall. So what are we going to do with Ben Simmons, man? You know you got to train him. This Joel Embiid thing and Ben Simmons ain't working out, right? If I'm Ben Simmons or if I'm his agent, you know what I need to do? Ben Simmons needs, Simmons needs to go to, uh, he, he, Ben Simmons would be a really, really good piece in terms of a third wheel. If you could put some shooters around Ben Simmons and just let him concentrate on running the show, passing the ball, playing defense, and scoring on occasion, you would have a third wheel who could be on a team that could win you a championship. I'll bet you right now, if Clay Thompson could come back Full clay, which is doubtful because of his age and the amount of injury that he had. But if I'm Golden State, I'm calling up Philadelphia and saying, hey, man, you want to do something involving um, Ben Simmons and Draymond Green? They're, they're, the same, they're the same type of player, but yet and still I think because of the age and because of the athleticism and everything, the versatility, I think Ben Simmons could be a better fit. Steph could play off the ball, Clay great playing off the ball, and you wouldn't have to have Ben Simmons worried about being the second wheel or being the Robin. You know, we've already got a Batman and Robin in terms of if he joined Golden State. But I would also put him on maybe a team like Sacramento, Orlando, somewhere where it's like, look, we stink, 
We're not going anywhere, but we got this 24-year-old who is a multiple-time All-Star. We got a guy who's one of the best defenders in the league. We got a guy who's one of the most versatile and unique players in the league and has shown the propensity to score. Just check this season's regular season game at Utah where I think he went for 30 or 40 points. So somewhere, somehow, it's in there. So look, let's do this. Let's get this guy and let's just build the team around him and let's just have him just go and do a thing. He's the centerpiece of this team. He's going to be the man of this team. And you know what? Who gives a fuck if we lose 42 to 50 games? Because right now we're building around you and we're going to let you work through all of that nonsense. Because I think, again, the pressure, the expectations got into Ben Simmons' head in the playoffs and he didn't perform. But we've seen multiple times through the years that Ben Simmons is a guy who can play. It's not that timid, scared, weak need, lacking confidence guy that we saw late in the playoffs against the Atlanta Hawks. I just think that he needs to recuperate. I think he needs to get his mentals back. I think he needs to get his confidence back. So I think you basically send him to Siberia of the NBA in terms of competing is concerned. Send him over to Minnesota. Minnesota is very anxious. Minnesota has been reported they're very anxious to uh, do something with him. I think he would be great with Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards. I think he would be great with uh, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard in Portland. I think he would be great, as I mentioned before, in sack in um in the Golden State. So those are the teams I'd be dealing to. Those are the teams I'd be I'd be talking about. But there's just more than this. That can you win a championship with Joel Embiid? Now I know the answer is you surround them with shooters and everything is going to be a okay. But shit, man. I mean, we're talking about a guy here who can't stay healthy. We're talking about a guy here who who can't give you 35 to 40 to 42 minutes of dominance on a regular basis. We're speaking about a guy here who, I don't know, is his best past him? If you equate the injuries, if you equate, this is what he is. How long has he been in the league? We're still waiting for Joel Embiid to be that physical dominating force that he's shown in flashes. Like Ben Simmons, we're waiting for him to finally get himself a jump shot. Maybe with Embiid, it's just not possible. Maybe Joel Embiid, this version of Joel Embiid, he is what he is. So is it just a matter of, well, if this is what he is, is this good enough to win a championship with the team that we have right now? With Tobias Harris being your go-to guy from the perimeter as a scorer, as a shooter, as a shot creator. I mean, what are we going to do in terms of we trade Ben Simmons? We got to get ourselves a point guard. Because Shaker, uh, Shaker Milton is not going to do anything. Maybe you put your stock into Tyrese Maxey, but that's a couple of years away. Matisse Thibel is a good defender, but you're going to need another perimeter shooter. Steph Curry's brother, Seth, is a... I mean, he, he, he's not a guy who's going to be a second-tier scorer. I mean, during the playoffs, he was their main guy as far as him and Tobias Harris creating shots. That's not That shouldn't be his role. Seth Curry is a specialist. He's not a starter in the NBA that's going to be winning championships playing 32 to 38 minutes a game. But where do you go from here? What do you do? Because the draft picks of consequence are over. You know, you ain't getting, you're not getting Jalen Ruggs. You ain't getting um, Kate Cunningham. You're You're not in that position anymore. And you're not going to be for a little while. So... If you think about maybe starting over again, are we going to start the process all over again after seven, eight years? And what confidence am I, if I'm a Philadelphia 76er fan and even thinking that's a good idea because you guys failed miserably the first time we tried to process if the, if the 
expectations of this were to win a championship, get into the championship, or vie for a championship. Those expectations have not been met. And now since we know that the duo of Embiid and Simmons is not a combo that you can take toward the NBA to the NBA Finals with the team that's constituted around them, and the only way that you can kind of maneuver out differently is to trade Ben Simmons, what do we do with Joel Embiid? As he gets older, more uh, apt to become injured in a guy who we're thinking is never going to be the guy that's going to be in shape or be that dominant force that in the game seven of an NBA conference final or an NBA final or even a first or second round final is going to be a guy who's going to score 20 and get you eight in the fourth quarter and just dominate. Doc Rivers, Black America's head coach, starting to call him, come off a little bit. Had a history of squandering leads. Failed to close out games in 2009, 2010, 2012, 2013. Blew 3-1 leads in 2015, 2020. If we all remember what happened in the bubble with the um, Denver Nuggets. We'll see. We'll go ahead and see. But uh, some things to be discussed concerning the Philadelphia 76ers. All right, I'm done. I'm out of here. I am uh, going to go ahead and see what I can do to uh, get my smoothie on and to uh, watch a little NBA basketball, Clippers, and the Phoenix Suns. So, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. Great to be back. Thank you very much for listening. I was speaking with somebody today, and um, they were telling me they were so in love, sad as can be, because the pretty face, it got the best of me, but suddenly this girl came into my life. She gave it meaning and pure delight. So now good looks. He's learned to do without because he knows that love is only count because... Words of wisdom, beauty is only skin deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beauty is only skin deep. Oh, yeah. But you know what? I, don't, don't take my word for it. Don't take David Ruffin's word for it. Give me his, give me his, bring in the, bring in the brother. Is the brother still living or did he OD like David? Bring in the brother. I'm going to let him sing the words of wisdom. Speaking the words so warm and clear, let you know that your love is near. A pretty face. You may not possess, but what I like about you is your tenderness. A pretty face, baby. Some guys taste, but I take loving in this place because beauty's only skin deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beauty's only skin deep. Oh, yeah. Peace, love, happiness to everyone. Love the NBA. I miss you, Felisa Ham. Miss you a lot. Mr. Ruffin, beauty's only skin deep. If you would, please.
it goes 